Would you pray with me? Most gracious God, we are grateful for the gift of life, but also grateful, Lord, that you created us with purpose and meaning in mind. And on this Labor Day Sunday, Lord, we want to think and pray and ask about the value and the purpose of our work, of the things that we do daily with our time and our effort. And so, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open to a fresh anointing of your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would come and speak to us and remind us, Lord, of your presence in our work. To that end, Lord, I pray that you would pour upon me the gift of preaching, that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, so do you believe that God values our work? Do you feel there's eternal purpose in what you do? Think about that. Do you think there's eternal purpose in what you do, that your work matters to God? My answer is that it has the potential to matter. It has the potential for eternal value. It's all, it's not in what you do or the job you have. It's all in the why that motivates our work. And since Labor Day pays tribute to the contributions and achievements of American workers, I take this opportunity every year to interview someone here at St. Andrews regarding how and why they believe God values their work and how that gives their work purpose and meaning. So in a moment, I'll be inviting Jaime Gonzalez forward, but before I do, let me lay a little bit of theological groundwork. Beginning in Genesis, we see from the outset that God's calling for humans in their purpose and work is one of purpose and meaning. In Genesis, it says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over the earth, and over all creatures that move on the earth. As beings made in God's image, we are given responsibility to rule on God's behalf over the earth. The way a king rules over his people. And the Hebrew word used for rule includes responsibility. In ruling, the king is responsible for everyone's welfare under his rule, if they're a good king. To treat them fairly, to care for them, to ensure justice. So whatever we rule over, whatever work we do, it falls under this command of God. So think about that. As God's representatives on earth, whatever God gives us to rule over, whatever our work is, we're called to bear responsibility to care for all the resources under our control. God calls us to steward the things that we have authority over in a way that's consistent with God's will. And as we do that, That's how we begin finding purpose and meaning in our work. So I'm going to invite Jaime forward. Jaime is going to share how he finds God's purpose in his work. Jaime's work involves building partnerships and creating and managing projects to help make Houston a more resilient, biologically diverse, cooler, healthier, and better connected city. 
I've had numerous conversations with him and seen him present at the Burke Baker Planetarium. And his work is really insightful, impactful, and meaningful. Let's welcome Jaime. Jaime, come on up. Welcome. Thanks for being willing to sit down and talk with me today. Um, Give us an overview of kind of your work, a quick overview. Yeah, um, can you all hear me? Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, so a quick overview of my work is, is in the straightforward way is that I'm using the power of nature, which God gave us, to help create healthier places for people and wildlife here in the city, outside the city. And we need that power that God has given us ever more uh, because we're seeing more and more disasters. And the pandemic just showed us the power of nature. It was just a um, there was just a study that came out and it looked at loneliness. Mm-hmm. You talked about loneliness mm-hmm. and how it's a precursor to so many diseases, and how we need to find community just like the one we have here at St Andrews. But they looked at what was the power of nature to reduce loneliness, and it was over twenty percent, even if you weren't around people. And then they looked at what does it mean to have birds calling in your neighborhood. And people's mental health improved. And I don't think that's an accident. I think it's because it is almost like an antenna that connects you with the Almighty. And where you hear the signal the the strongest, whether it's a national park or at your ranch or uh, a city park or your backyard, that signal and its clarity is really important. And we're going to talk a little bit about why certain places in Houston and other places that signal isn't very strong because there's not enough nature. Mm. Great. And I think you want us to have an experience this morning to begin a little bit. So um, any introductory remarks? Yeah, just real quickly. So I am speaking on behalf of myself today (laughs) and not my (laughs) employer, just so you know. Uh, But I did want to kind of ground us together as a community. Now, what I'd like you to do is a pretty simple experience. I'd like you to close your eyes. And I'd like you to take two deep breaths and center yourself a little bit. And now I want you to keep your eyes closed as we listen to something for about a minute. you do this, go ahead and take in a few more deep breaths. All right. How do you feel? How many of you feel relaxed at that point? Mm-hmm. Right may take you back to your childhood. It may take you to a noise machine that you have when you go to sleep. <laughs> but those sounds, those bird calls, those, those grasshopper calls, the cricket calls, are designed into you. Scientists call this biophilia, the love of nature and what that means. As spiritual people, we also know that there's a connection in the stewardship that we talked about. Yeah, I mean, I know some of you have heard me talk about or write about my Sabbath walks. That's what I call them. But every morning, what I'm doing is intentionally getting into nature 
And as I engage nature, one of the first things I do is listen for the sounds of nature. Right now, we have a lot of uh, cicadas, right, that are singing uh, birdsong. I'm beginning to identify birds, uh, which I'm not very good at, but I'm beginning to, to do that. And what I do, the first thing I do is I listen and then I join with all of that nature in the song that it's singing with it in worshiping God. Because all nature, scripture proclaims that all nature worships God. And what happens for me in this is that it really lowers my anxiety. I get grounded on the planet. And in my insignificance, because think about it, in that moment, I am a small part of a large macro system that God has created to worship. But in my insignificance is where I find my significance. Really interesting. A lot of the weight and the anxiety we carry is because we feel like the weight of the world's on us. And what happens when you engage nature is all of a sudden you're, you're not so big. It's not all on you. And God speaks to me every morning as I join with creation and worship. I know you've had some similar uh, kind of practices in your life, Jaime. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing to say about that is that as a, as a church that believes in science... The science is aligning here with your spiritual walk, which is that <clears throat> scientists have looked at what being in nature makes you feel like. And what it does, it turns internal thoughts into external thoughts. Mm-hmm. Internal thoughts into thoughts about community, things that are higher and bigger than you. So when I take pictures in nature, and I take a lot of pictures, I oftentimes put a person in the very corner and the landscape very large, and people go, what? No, I'm supposed to be in the center of the blocking the Grand Canyon as I take the picture. No, <laughs> I'm looking at the creation and maybe your relationship. So I spend quite a bit of time outside, and for me, even the very smallest ants or beetles in my neighborhood are a testament to the power of that creation. Mm. Well, I know you want us to do um, or talk about a visualization project for a moment. I've put a picture. This is Uh, Our place out in West Texas on the Nueces River, this is a place that I go to in my mind sometimes when I want to find peace uh, by doing that. Jaime, what is the benefit of this and how does it work? Yeah, so I'd like you to take a moment to think about a place where you have spent time in creation. Whether it was when you were a child, if you're still a child, you can stay there. Or (laughs) if you're an adult and you've taken a trip anywhere Uh, in nature. And what I want you to do is, as you close your eyes, I want you to imagine yourself there, the smells, the sights, the sounds, and make it 360 degrees. Completely immerse yourself in just that place for just this moment. I find myself doing this at work sometimes when things are stressful. All right, go ahead and do that for just just a little bit. All right. Did you feel that? Sometimes if I'm feeling stressed, my place to go is in the water at Galveston with my son Diego and my wife Katie. That's, that's where I go. That's my sense of peace. Wow. So what's cool about today is it happens to be that what Jaime does uh, can really bless us in our own practices, right? And I just wanted to pull that out a little bit uh, because so much of Jaime's passion about his vocation, his calling in life is really to connect us with nature and nature with us and for us to understand and learn more about how we need nature and how nature needs us. Um, I'm gonna, the next slide is, is a picture we are all very familiar with. 
Um, when we think about the reality of radical weather events like Harvey, and we know we're seeing more and more of them, it seems like now there's not a time in the news where one's not happening, right, somewhere. It's, it's been pretty crazy. Um, certainly, this is part of what you're trying to help us with, but there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there, in what you're doing? I, I think so. So sometimes people ask, what is Houston's next moonshot? And I think it's pretty straightforward at this point. We're seeing increasing disasters, whether they're floods or freak, um, freeze storms, flooding, heat, which is getting worse and worse. And the predictions from scientists are that, that heat and flooding are going to get worse and worse. So we're going to see more disasters coming on. And those disasters are not always striking the same neighborhoods in the same ways. And the people in those neighborhoods who have less, they can't recover very quickly. And it brings a tremendous amount of financial strain, uh, mental strain, physical strain, relationship strain where you're under that uh, stress. And so really, in so many ways, if Houston can find ways to create a garden city that has many more trees and prairies and wetlands and park space, and they connect all those and build on the great work that's happening at our, our signature parks and along our bayous, what we can do is we can save people, the least of those, from the stresses before they happen. So it's a lot easier to deal with situations on the front end than it is when people have faced these tremendous issues. We, as a church and a congregation, showed a lot of leadership in going out and mucking out homes from Hurricane Harvey. But what if we never had to do that? What if those people were never displaced? What if they didn't have to go through the financial strain? There are still people in the city that don't have walls five years after Hurricane Harvey. So... Nature is not the full solution. We'll need gray infrastructure and pipes and, and culverts and all that. But nature can really help us get there. And also, this. The average child today spends less than 10 minutes outside in unstructured time. If so many of the metaphors in the Bible are nature-based, mm. if we know that it's great for their mental and physical and spiritual and cultural well-being... And we know that many kids, and I've taught tens of thousands of kids at this point in the city, can't afford to get out of the city. Then the quality of their nature in their neighborhood is what they get. So a lot of my work is really taking nature back into neighborhoods where the people deserve them. Because nature is never a luxury. It is a human right. And I think part of that really goes to our spiritual being. So in a couple of ways, I'd love for you, so as we talk about this, this is a picture of Buffalo Bayou Park. This is over close to where Amy and I live. We're on Buffalo Bayou every day. Uh, We have the privilege, right, of being in this green space. Uh, But the poor neighborhoods, like Gulfton and others, don't have green space, right? They have to drive a long way to get to good green space like Memorial Park or Herman Park or any of those. Um, So there's this large macro level of getting more green space, which I don't know you want to talk about, but also... Like, you've had conversations with me about how planting natural grasses and increasing, like, I don't know if you've noticed, but on the bayou, they've stopped cutting the grass as much as they used to. They're letting it grow. Why is that? What's the benefit of of letting less pretty, maybe, sometimes things (laughs) happen? How does that help our city lower its issue with climate, you know, heat issues and all of that? Yeah, so I think that, you know, what I tell people is that if the city's going to respond differently to disasters in the future. It's going to have to look differently. It's going to have to look differently because many of the landscapes that we plant are not sustainable and climate damaging. So mowing is a great example of that. When you mow grasses repeatedly, 
the, hard, the earth gets hard. It can't absorb as much water. A lot of the turf is very hot in comparison to grasslands like this, which are actually, in effect, cooling the air around them. So I'm not saying that your yard is going to look like this. <laughs> what I am saying is that with our big public spaces, with many places, and, and a part of your yard, you can make, um, you can be a great neighbor to others because you can absorb more of their water. You can cool your place around you, and we can save tax dollars and clean the air. So I think part of it is um, that we can be better stewards of the earth. We can be better neighbors. And one last thing that's really important is that we're not just in a in an era of climate change. We're in an era of biodiversity loss. Scientists think that we can lose a million species by mid-century. And for some people, they think that that's, you know, that would be very unfortunate. But here's the thing in terms of the least of these. The same scientists tell us that 85% of the sustainability goals, the goals that will make a healthy uh, place for human beings to, to subsist and live and reduce poverty, 85% of those goals will be badly damaged if we lose those million species. We are so intersected by the creator with all these species that as they go, we go. So planting more sustainable landscapes that feed the native bees and birds and everything is not just a nice thing to do. It's a smart thing to do. And what, one of the things, and if you remember the statistics, I remember at the planetarium you mentioned or in a conversation we had, right, uh, that, that section of green space in the medical center, um, you were saying the grasses were natural grasses and they were high versus right across the street were cut grass. What was the difference in the temperature between those two? Yeah, so if you've been to the uh, Texas Medical Center and seen the MD Anderson Prairie, which is at the corner of Holcomb and Fannin, that's not a mistake. Nobody ran out of a mowing budget. Um, <laughs> MD Anderson Cancer Center and I worked on this project with partners, and we were measuring temperatures. And the temperature between the tall grass native prairie, which connects us to a sense of place. We have a rodeo because we had this prairie. Um, it was a full 20 degrees cooler than the turf right next to it. So if we want a cooler city, and one that absorbs a more spongy city, and one that's frankly a lot more fun and, and connected to culture, will rethink these civic spaces. So I just, that amazed me, you know, just that there are some things that we can do that are so pragmatic that in a very, I mean, even in Houston's best summer, it's hot, right? So why not create some places that are absorbing more of that heat, right, and doing it in a way that cools uh, the area around it versus these hard packed surfaces and how can we do that and so a lot of Jaime's work is focused around our city trying to create right more of those spaces to educate uh, we're talking with Kelly about our expansion of the day school we're going to be trying to put some natural grasses in over in the new area to teach the children about this and let them experience those different kinds of, of uh, wildlife and plants um, and then as you said, you want to take this into the Gulfton area specifically. So what does that project look like, or what are some of the goals you have? Yeah, so with, with Gulfton, it's, uh, we did a heat monitoring uh, community science-based project back in 2020, and we found that Gulfton was 17 degrees hotter on average in August than the coolest neighborhood in the city. Also, just remember that exposure to nature reduces stress levels, and that's particularly important for folks that are, that are experiencing poverty um, or transition from another uh, uh, center in the world. And there's a lot of refugees there. So it's got both the, if we can plant more trees, if we can plant more green walls, if we can put in wetlands, it has the dual impact of protecting people 
kind of from a physical sense, but also from an emotional, mental sense. So all the natural spaces that go in here, go in places like Galton, Kashmir Gardens, and other places, that is a form of mental health infrastructure. That's part of the mental health delivery system, and we should really fund it that way. If we can create conditions in the community that don't leave people with these challenges in the first place, preventative health care, that's important. So the thing um, I would say to you first is be blessed by the knowledge that Jaime is sharing, right? I have found that as I engage nature daily, it really grounds me in my spirituality and my relationship with God. Uh, It's all in the theology you bring to it, right? I'm not worshiping nature. I'm joining with nature in worship, and there is a difference, right, fundamentally. But getting to a place where you can hear birdsong or insects or to watch the trees and the breeze or to smell the rain, right? These things that really speak to us in a stressful and anxiety-filled world, this is practical help, and it's really good. So take advantage Attune your body, right? Don't be on your iPad or your phone while you're in the green space, right? That kind of takes away the whole point. But secondly, what Jaime does and what gives him... So he gets a sense of purpose and meaning in what he does in his work because he's focused on this work, right? But it's because he invites God into it, right? He, he invites God into this work. He sees God's calling in his life as he creates space for our city, but also especially for the least and the lost, right, in what he does. So thank you. Thank you for sharing today, Jaime. I really, really appreciate it. So does our work matter? Yes, it does matter. I know, I know. You're thinking it's easy to find kingdom purpose in Jaime's work, right? But so much of the reason he finds... There are other people in Jaime's industry that don't find kingdom purpose in that work, right? They don't see God in it. It's what we bring to it. It's what we invite God into, right? And so along those lines, whoever we are and whatever we do, whether we love our work or whether we struggle with it, we can find purpose and meaning in our work. The secret to what gives our work meaning is the why. Why do we do what we do? Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. This is the secret to your work having matter. That everything you do, you do unto the Lord. Um, I think that's such a powerful, powerful scripture. So how do we find kingdom purpose in our work? It happens as we do our work first to the Lord. You remember the phrase, soli dea gloria. Right? We do all we do unto God's glory. What do I mean by that? The motive behind our work, every task, every interaction with other people, this can be tricky, can be done intentionally for God. Oh God, as I interact with this employee or this customer or this person today, I'm going to do it thinking about you. I'm going to treat them the way that I know you would want me to treat them. And so even if I'm in a job that doesn't receive honor from the world, when my motive in doing the task well comes from my desire to do my work first and foremost unto God, soli dea gloria, then God is pleased. And God's pleasure is a wonderful source of purpose and meaning in our work. Does that make sense? So God's pleasure, knowing I'm doing it unto him, no matter what I'm doing, knowing God's pleased with my motive and my intention that pleasure gives my work purpose and meaning. 
And so whether you're an auditor for a large accounting firm, a stay-at-home parent, a salesperson, a nurse, a teacher, an engineer, when soli dea gloria is our motivation, our work can have meaning. And today, as we come together to celebrate communion, you know, Jesus lived this life of purpose and meaning. And what did it mean? Do you remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus said numerous times that whatever he saw the Father doing, that's what he did. He was connected to God and he was listening to God. And, uh, you know, um, Jesus got out into the wilderness alone, too, and he listened to nature, didn't he? He went off by himself to pray. He was out in nature. Um, I can totally imagine Jesus joining with all creation in worship. Jesus is our role model in what our work is, and Jesus' work was particular. But still, the reason it had meaning, the reason his life, his death, his resurrection had meaning, is because he was aligned with God, and he did it unto God. And so whatever you do, ask God, invite God into that today. And so as we come to this table, we remember Jesus' gift to us of his life, the purpose and meaning of his work, right? It's the grace that we find at this table. But at the same time, right, we can ask God today as we receive communion, his grace, we can ask God, Lord, teach me to invite you into my work.